0: Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange. And HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect yourself to others and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I've got a really inspiring human for you in Toby Milden. Uh, Toby is a inclusion architect and has extensive experience working in consultancy for people such in the past, such as Deloitte, also worked at the BBC and is now independent for the last 12 months. So welcome to the podcast, Toby.
1: Hey, Gary. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you for joining me today. And as we get going, there's another really exciting thing in that you've had a new book released um, uh, very recently. So would you mind maybe just introducing yourself a little bit more extensively for our listeners that are kind enough to join us today?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm Toby and I work with HR directors predominantly and senior business leaders uh, to really help them hardwire diversity and inclusion into their organisation so that it's it's seen as business as usual i would be currently working with um, a large media organisation, publisher, looking at projects like how do we de-bias decision making um, and how do they become a, a, a disability confident employer so that they can attract uh, a, a wider variety of, of talent into the business.
0: Fantastic and what what do you feel in terms of the book coming out I'd love to explore that with you today which is inclusive growth what was your inspiration for that Toby where where did that idea come from?
1: So a lot of the inspiration within my book came from me working in in in-house at organizations as a a diversity and inclusion practitioner Um, and partly I was it was looking at what I thought went well in terms of best practice and and what other organisations should be doing, so that diversity and inclusion becomes the the fabric of the business. Mm-hmm. But equally, I was looking at all of the stuff that was frustrating me, and and really, you know, get, you know really getting my goat. And as a practitioner, where I thought organisations were making uh, mistakes or missteps in trying to achieve greater inclusion, and I put the two together, and I came up with a. Uh, a framework or a model that helps businesses to implement diversity and inclusion um, based based on those experiences.
0: Uh, I think it's so powerful you know myself as you know a white male um, you know unless we understand each other's experience yeah so your experience is Toby mine is Gary and the other seven and a half billion people on the planet that experience part is so important isn't it?
1: Yeah absolutely yeah and and you, you touched on something there because you said, you know, as, as me as a white male, um, what I am finding in organisations is that, that that white men in the business are feeling like that actually that they're, they're missing out on this diversity and inclusion journey. Um, and, and the thing that I keep stressing to my clients when I do consulting or training with them or, you know, however I work with them, is I say that diversity includes everybody. Um, and we need to make sure that everybody, every single person is included and and taken on the journey Um, because it's only when businesses really reflect the communities in which they're based and the talent that's around them um, and the communities in which they serve in terms of customers that, um, you know, that they become high performing businesses.
0: That's really, really interesting point that Toby, because it's like this sort of inside-out view that actually, within an organisation, so we, we can see our, our demographic, we know who's working for us, but how does that sort of amplify or how is that represented in yeah, societal, sure. with your customers, with the suppliers, etc.? And I love the way that you focused on establish, evolve, and enhance. I think they're really positive, optimistic ways of trying to bring d to life in organisations. Do you mind speaking a bit about the sort of established part, you know, why why is that so important when embedding DNI into a framework within an organisation?
1: Yeah. So, and um, within established, we look at two things. We look at clarity and culture. Um, clarity is all about setting the strategy for the organisation, but it's also things like understanding why diversity and inclusion is important for the organisation, what data or employee insights that you can get your hands on to help shape your strategy? Um, what three talking points do, do you need to give to your chief executive so that they are able to talk confidently from a podium about why diversity and inclusion is important to the, to the organisation? So we do all of that first to get, really get clear on why it's so strategically important to the business And I've called the book inclusive growth because I believe that when organizations are inclusive and they are able to attract and retain diverse talent, that they are able to grow. They are better performing businesses. They're able to break into new markets. They're able to recruit more people, whatever growth represents for them, they're able to do it if they can do it in a much more inclusive way. So we talk about that in the first step of clarity and then and then we move on to culture and that's really thinking intentionally about what does your culture look like now how what would a more inclusive culture look like in the future and what are the practical steps that you need to take to shift your culture from where you are now to where you want to be Um, and we it's really important that we do those two things right at the beginning in terms of establishing diversity and inclusion or in or indeed re-establishing diversity inclusion in some cases where an organization has has started to make lots of inroads in diversity inclusion but when they reflect they think well actually it's not really having the impact that i thought it would make um or perhaps we're treating this a bit like a box ticking exercise and we're not being particularly (laughs) inclusive in our diversity and inclusion strategy Um, so we we aren't we ask and answer all these questions in that in that phase just to really get clarity on 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 where we are and how we proceed from there
0: i absolutely love toby how you're intentionally trying to find those three sound bites for a ceo that they can speak confidently from the podium on i think that's such a gap in the inclusion space because i think and i'd love you to challenge me on this but what I see from my network when I'm in conversation is there's just so much fear because either we're too busy that we don't make intentionally find the time to understand why inclusion matters or we're too myopically focused on the metrics that we don't make time to understand inclusion, why it matters. So to find those sound bites and almost make it easy for that CEO or senior team to lean into this conversation, I think is absolutely genius, Toby.
1: Yeah, and when I talk to my clients and find out what, what, you know, what are the things that is you know, preventing them from becoming a more inclusive organisation. They pretty much all say it's the chief executive who is not walking the talk when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And, 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 and the senior leadership team under the CEO is not really walking the talk. So it's a major sticking point. Um, and, and we have to really nail down why diversity and inclusion is so important to the to the to the future of the organization
0: and from your point of view if, if i was a ceo right now and you were coming to consult with me toby what what are some of those clear messages from your side your lived experience but also from your work as to why we need to build more inclusive organizations and quickly
1: yeah so there's there's a few things that can go on in that conversation so you know, one is that it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, we're talking about human rights. Um, and and I've, I've actually aligned my business to one of the United Nations goals. So when I created my business, I was thinking I need something. I need a North Star to be working towards. And so I used the United Nations goals and I picked one, which is goal number eight, which is about decent work for everybody and economic growth. And, and I think when I'm talking to a CEO, I'm saying, well, actually, you know, regardless of the business case, because quite often they want to talk to me about the business case. And I say, well, the business case is quite simple. It's the the right thing to do. We should be, um, you know, we should be creating businesses that enables um, anybody to work in the business, regardless of background, to be able to come and contribute their best work so that that business thrives. So that's the business case. Um, And I am a bit sarcastic with people sometimes and when they say well you know um for example show me the business case why why we should recruit more disabled people for example you know and you know i i myself am in a wheelchair and have been since i was you know born um i will turn around to them and say well i will i will write the business case for you when you write the business case why we should hire non-disabled people and then, the, yeah, yeah, and then there's a bit of silence at that point. But, you know, the whole point is, um, yeah, we, you know, this is not only the right thing to do, but it's really important for the, for the growth of the business. Yeah,
0: it's, you know, this is called value through vulnerability. And that's why I love these conversations, uh, Toby, because, you know, I ask my questions intentionally from that sort of, <laughs> that, that leadership lens, you know, what's the ROI on humanity? I wrote a piece a while back. Again, being sarcastic, like, yeah. you are, around like do, we, do we really need to keep justifying why we invest in human beings? Yeah. Or why we need to bring them together to connect or why we need to bring them together to learn each other's experiences. And I think we are, I call it the journey from just our head, Toby, towards our heart. Mm. But we need our head, of course, but we also need to lean into our heart more. And I'm wondering how that may or, or, or may not come up in the work you do around trying to, you know, get people out of their head into their heart for this conversation to accelerate.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had, I've been contemplating over the, the head and the heart, you know, and it's really common with um, business change consultants and people that work in that area where they say, you know, um, you know, you need to appeal to the head and the heart when you're talking to business executives. And to me, that's, all, all I'm doing really is just using different types of language that stick with the business. Mm-hmm. So some organisations they're very analytical, they're very logical, they're very data driven. They want to see numbers, they want to see evidence, um, and that's fine. That that's the culture of that organisation to want to see that type of information. Then there's other organisations that are you know more appealing to the human side of of business, where they're saying, well, what does it feel like to work in the organisation? You know, what's the employee experience? and and but that's just a different language that's just their language so whenever I talk to an organization and my my kind of tip to anyone really who wants to progress diversity and inclusion in their organization is is find out what language sticks within the business and, and speak that language in order to get your message across
0: that's that's really helpful actually because I'm I'm now thinking about the the other parts of that you share in your book around evolve And that's the bit where I feel personally my own journey is, um, you know, I feel I'm fairly decent personally around established, but I'm certainly in a vol stage personally, Toby, around this sort of understanding of inclusion and its importance. And I remember um, Deborah Rue, the lovely lady who wrote um, Inclusion Branding, uh, I spoke to her before, and I remember this statistic which she said that one in seven people have or will have a disability during their lifetime, and most of those people are locked out of work currently. So, so how do we, as part of your role as an architect, I'm really ex- interested to explore that, that wider role. So does that mean that you will go in and literally design the space as well as the practices with people? Or to, to maybe tell myself and the listeners a bit more about what you actually do um, and how you bring that to life, Toby. Yes,
1: yeah, so the, the reason why I called myself a diversity and inclusion architect was because I, when I work with my clients, I want to co-create something with them. I want to create a solution that's fit for their business. And I want to create the whole package. So I don't want to treat diversity and inclusion like a box ticking exercise or where we create a little bit of training or a a program that sits on the side of your business. I want it to encompass the the whole. Um, And and also, I I I want to create something that's like an architect's studio where people come in, we get around a big table, long table, and, we, you know, and t- t- together we co-create solutions to making your business more inclusive. Um, and for me to go in and sort of create the, the infrastructure of the solutions for my clients' problems is, is why I
0: call myself an architect. That's so cool, and m- m- may I say, you're the first person I've ever come across with that title. And I think it's brilliant, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it speaks to what you do so beautifully as well. It's not just a title, you know, yeah. and I think that, that's what's so powerful for me, Toby. And you know? I, the thing I'm really excited about is that word co-create you just use. So maybe you can speak a bit more why that's so important in bringing bringing your work and this agenda to life.
1: Yeah, so co-create. I'm, I'm a big fan of co-creation for for a couple of reasons. So. So one is, um, uh, a, a good friend of mine, um, she's, um, she, she's really high up in um, politics, um, has um, spent all of her career doing disability rights. In the 90s, she was the kind of woman who chained herself to a bus uh, in London. I uh, don't know if you kind of remember those scenes where disabled people were <laughs> fighting for access to public transport. Um, And she said, you know, there's this phrase from disability rights campaigning, which goes, nothing about us without us. And it's a phrase that's really stuck with me. And the reason why I like co-creation is because so many organizations, when when they implement diversity and inclusion, it's usually done from the HR department, done to people in the organization, rather than done with. And one of the things I talk about in my book is, it's kind of the, the central chapter is colleague experience and design. And basically this is user experience in design or human centered design thinking, um, that, you know, prior, prior to me becoming a diversity and inclusion practitioner, I, w- I worked in technology as a project manager and user experience and design. And so I've brought all of that background as well into my, into my DNI thinking, um, so, A, there's that co-creation with the organisation to solve employees' problems. And think it starts with a simple question, which is if an employee is going on a journey, it could be, say, re- your recruitment journey, for example, um, or it could be becoming a parent for the first time. Um, what are the speed humps or roadblocks that prevents an employee from completing that journey? And then how can you co-create to remove those speed humps and roadblocks? so that's kind of the first point really and in terms of co-creation for designing solutions the other point is that when we talk about diversity and inclusion oftentimes it becomes a bit like a them and us so again there's people sitting in the business saying oh you know we really do need to recruit more disabled people for xyz reason um and we're going to we're going to design these solutions because we believe these are the things that are preventing us from recruiting more disabled people or promoting more disabled people that we already have in the business. And it's like the solutions are done to the disabled people who are treated a a bit like this kind of group at arm's length. Um, And I think if we are to be inclusive, we need to bring everybody closer and, and work together and coming up with solutions that work for people
0: so thank you so much for sharing that that the co-creation work comes up a lot for me in some of the work i do internally my my corporate toby but i, I love how you're bringing your technical expertise you know your software expertise together with your inclusion um, experience i think that's really unique and i guess it also speaks beautifully to your architect language i guess a sort of technical architect meets NI architect you're a, you're a very cool chap, Toby. I have to say, it's very, very, very cool. I can see, I can see, I can see how all this is coming together. Thanks very much. In terms of the last part of the book, so you, your first section of your book is established, the middle part is evolve, and the last part is around enhance. Do you mind speaking a little bit to that? What, what's the objective of that last part of, um, or the last area of your book?
1: Yes, yeah, so enhancing is all about how you can make a bigger impact following establish, uh, so establish is about um, getting, you know, understanding why you're doing this. Um, the end of, so the, the last part in, 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 in enhance is about how do you, how do you really celebrate yourself as, a, as an inclusive employer? How do you also work collaboratively uh, across the organisation uh, through your supply chain? with strategic partners with the rest of your organization because a lot of organizations diversity and inclusion is kind of driven from the hr department Um, they're not taking the rest of the organization along with them and actually everybody you know diversity touches every part of the business so if you take for example if you say for example something like well we you know if a business wants to recruit more disabled people then a company really needs to think about what assistive technologies it can provide to disabled people. Um, So does a business provide, for example, software for people who are dyslexic? Does it provide um, speech-to-text software like I use to control my laptop? Um, So in that instance, you need to get your IT department involved in procuring those licenses and, and getting that software onto your IT catalogue. So that's what we talk about in that chapter. Um, but it's also about how do we reach beyond the business? So many organizations, for example, have strategic partners. They might outsource their IT to another company or their finance service desk. Or um, if, they, you know, if they have front of house staff receptionists or security people that might be outsourced to another company so how do, how does a business get those organizations on board to help help you with your own business objectives around diversity and
0: inclusion it's so lovely i love this sort of bigger system approach that you're focusing on Toby. so yes it's, it's inclusion diversity focused you're trying to help organizations you know help individuals be seen have the, the, you know, the rights, their opportunity. But then it's this beautiful vision of actually, how do we bring all of these external partners and stakeholders together? Is that something that is common within the inclusion and diversity space to really be looking at that bigger system thinking, do you think?
1: Not at all. <laughs> okay. Um, so, well, that's a bit unfair. So yeah, it can be found. It can be found. Uh, there are lots of businesses doing it. Um, the reason why I wrote the book is, is to give that bigger... Macro system uh, to so anyone reading my book is effectively looking at diversity and inclusion from thirty thousand feet, and they've got a a blueprint or a framework that they can they can work with. Um, the reason why I wrote that is because so many organisations they get very excited about diversity and inclusion and they and they go head first into creating initiatives, for example, or programs which are designed to fix people. Rather than fix the business culture and infrastructure, um, and they get really excited, and then they, and then they, a few months later they get really uh, frustrated that those initiatives are not making the impact that they thought they would make. Or there's grumblings. You know, people are saying, "Well, hang on a minute, um, you, you've put on a program to recruit more women into senior leadership positions. What if I'm what if I'm a woman who?" Doesn't want to be in a senior leadership position. Um, what about people from, say, an ethnic minority background? Um, when are we going to get a program? Um, and if I'm a black female, can I go on that program? And and we're not really taking that intersectionality into account. And then and then organizations start to we start to see some of the problems arise around not being able to make an impact, not being able to have sustainable change not being able to get return on investment or return on effort um and then that's when people come to me and say help um you know (laughs) we know this is important to the organization but we're just not getting the impact that we thought we were going to get
0: it's You've got me thinking toby about you, you previously spoke about the fact of course you know you work a lot with hr directors you know hr tends to take the lead on inclusion and diversity is it in the right place D? should it be sitting with the the c-suite rather than in hr although you could say hr's part of c-suite but i'm just wondering what your thoughts openly might be about where this sits in the future
1: yeah this is something this is something i actually talked about in my book so um it's it's interesting so you're right you're right a lot of the time diversity inclusion is driven from the hr department unfortunately in a lot of businesses it doesn't always get it get the kind of the sponsorship of the hr director it's somebody kind of middle halfway down the hr department that takes on the responsibility and then they wonder why they're not getting the impact because they just they're just not in that position of authority so Whilst a lot of businesses have it from the HR department, ideally being sponsored and and proactively driven by a HR director, in my opinion, A, A, it should definitely be on the C-suite board. The chief executive should absolutely take personal accountability and responsibility for driving diversity and inclusion. And if there is one person on the c-suite that should take responsibility for it it should be the chief operating officer because it's their responsibility for the efficient running of an organization and and across the organization as well you know they they look across the whole of the business and 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 they're they're they're, they're in a prime position to be taking diversity and inclusion uh, as a responsibility on the board
0: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's all experience. You've got your lens, everybody's got a lens on this, but I can't help feeling personally that, you know, there's so much data out there, isn't there? There's such evidence as to why inclusion matters, diversity matters, but there's a lot of the same conversations happening certainly the last five years that I've experienced in this space. So I do wonder if there is that gap you've just spoken to, if we're actually going to take the data and make it actually impact change. Maybe there is a shift in emphasis required. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, I mean, again, it depends what language the organisation is speaking. Um, You know, I've spoken to some chief operating officers who, they like data, they like numbers, they like evidence. So if they like that, then that's what we present. So we, you know, we present employee insights and data, um, you know, a really good calculation, for example, if 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 you're just looking at gender in the business, if you can understand why people are leaving the organisation and then split that between men and women, you'll, you might see a difference in, say, you know, people are leaving an organisation because of um, uh, um, lack of um, flexible working opportunities. And that might be impacting on women more than men. And then you can do a cost calculation. So you can say, well, you know, if we're losing this amount of people, for this reason i mean that's that's a that's a similar exercise what i did in my one of my previous employers is we basically calculated the cost to the business and we presented that that cost to the the business owners um and and then the penny dropped they were like ah, this is costing the business a fortune L- losing people because we're not very good at flexible or agile working um And then we put in really good agile working practices that everyone in the business enjoyed. It wasn't an initiative that we just did for the women of the organization. It was was stuff that benefited the whole organization. And at the same time, we saw our retention of women increase and the attrition
0: decrease. So thank you for sharing that example. It's, it's, it's really funny because you know, I'm not, just, just for anyone that's listening, they listen to this podcast, Toby, I, I'm like, I'm not the numbers guy. Like I, I'm so not the numbers guy. I'm very much the sort of touchy-feely, go with it, sort of like intuitive type person. But I know, as you say, we need to meet people where they're at, depending yes. on where they sit within an organizational context. But I'd love you to maybe share as we start to wrap up. So this, because it's a great conversation, but I'd love to also celebrate you know, who's doing great stuff in this space right now that you're really inspired by?
1: Yeah, so there are some really good um examples. I, I get asked this question a lot um, which is the organization that is um, doing incred- you know, really well in this in diversity and inclusion? And my answer is there is no golden bullet, and there is no one organization that is doing really well. However, there are pockets of, um, uh, or there are examples of good practice or best practice all over the place um and some of them i i managed to feature in my book which is quite handy for you know being able to sort of give people good examples but um we can look at for ey for example i interviewed in my book um you know in it we we were talking about the end, the end chapter which is about celebration which is about how do you project yourself as an inclusive employer once you've done all the hard work by the way on becoming an inclusive employer how do you then project that how do you then create your employer brand as an inclusive employer so I interviewed EY as part of that chapter because I was very cynical and I said that a lot of businesses they go for awards and they win awards and they're you know they have they're in the press and they have really nice awards evenings and but the following day there are still people in the organization that feel like they don't belong that it's not a particularly inclusive organization. So I had this conversation with E.Y, with um, Sally, who's the head of EY in the U.K. for, um, for DNI. And their strategy over the last 18 months or so has been to focus more on empowering employees to tell their own stories. So giving them the tools and, and, and the confidence or the empowerment, to be able to talk openly, on, online, at conferences internally as well at the organization about what it's like to work for the business um and and less of a reliance on going winning awards and they only really go for awards where it comes with some sort of helpful benchmarking exercise that kind of thing um and again this is something i mentioned in my book because you know i've worked in roles before where it felt like i was spending most of my time filling out award entries and not really actually making any difference to the business. And it, it was really frustrating when I was in that job because I was just like, I could just see stuff all around me that needed fixing in terms of being a more inclusive employer. But I, I was just, you know, filling out award entries and I was getting really frustrated. Um, and so, so that's one example. Um, and then I think, you know, when, when I left Deloitte, um, we, I was responsible for running our um, return to work program, which was seen as you know, really good practice. And I felt what was really encouraging as I was leaving the firm, is that we were talking about how do we make the program business as usual? So rather than having two intakes a year of people that have had a career break of two or more years that want to return to accountancy or professional services, um, how do we just make this business as usual so that anybody that's had a career break of a couple of years has a good opportunity of getting work in the organisation? And that was an encouraging sign for me.
0: Lovely. Thanks for sharing that. I also I love to pick up on the language you use as well. Again, back to that part which is so important. And I love that you you use almost good practice more than best practice, and that really speaks to me because I think best practice makes it sound like there's only one way whereas good practice is sort of easy to share, or maybe we can iterate agi- sort of ag- agility-wise. And I think it's, I just think it's so powerful, the example you're sharing is that, almost going full circles where we started, Toby, that like, EY are helping slow down, get present, come together on a human level and share stories. Mm. And that's more important than going and winning awards. I think that's such a powerful message.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's, the, you know, it's, it's definitely the right the right strategy to, to go, to do, you know, I read a book once and the reason why it got me thinking was that <laughs> I read a book once where, um, if you look at the times top 50 employers for women, um, a lot of those employers listed in the top 50 have the, the worst gender pay gap in the country. And it got me thinking about, well, how, you know, how, there's this disconnect between winning an award to say that you are a particularly inclusive employer and in this instance uh, a really good employer for women yet you've got some of the worst gender pay gaps in the country so it's just it's just incongruent um and i've worked in organizations that have won awards um you know and they win awards as the best company in a particular category or whatever and then i go to work the following day um and then my manager does something to make me feel like i don't belong to the organization because i have a disability and so there's this disconnect and i'm just thinking something's not quite right <laughs> in there and actually there's a there's a better way for employers to be projecting themselves as a as an inclusive employer and attracting that talent because if we if we look at something like unconscious bias we know that it's human nature to want to hang out with people that are just like ourselves (laughs) so when we create our employer branding that's what we project we just project more of the same and then we attract more of the same Um, and if we really do want diversity because we believe that it's a higher performing business we can innovate more we can make better decisions we're more profitable, all of those benefits that we receive, um, we need to be projecting a different image in order to attract a wider variety of talent.
0: Well, you've, you've, you're beautifully um, creating a segue that I wanted to create today, Toby, so well done, um, towards a masterclass, actually, that you're going to be um, leading on the 5th of March around this very topic, to so celebrating inclusive, inclusion and diversity through EVP. An employer brand, and that seems to be speaking exactly to the, this topic, Toby.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, um, so uh, my book, my book has just been released, uh, and then my plan is um, to create masterclasses or training uh, that go with each cha- with each chapter. So, anyone that basically wants to go deeper and understand how they actually implement what I talking about in the book, then they can come along to a you know a day long training course. Uh, I'm, for each one, I'm, I'm partnering up with an expert in their field. So, um, as you say, the, I'm, I'm creating one around inclusive employer branding um, with a guy called Miles who runs an employer branding agency called Movement. And so, we're putting our heads together. You know, he's bringing his branding expertise, I'm bringing my diversity and inclusion expertise, and we've got this intersection between the two. So, hopefully, the idea is that we have a really powerful. Uh, training day for everybody, um, and we will be talking about you know how is it? How do you actually create that inclusive employer brand? Um, and people will walk away from the training session with with um, with a blueprint for for an inclusive employer brand.
0: Fantastic! Um, well, I'm certainly going to be evaluating that myself, Toby. Seriously, so you may well see me at some point in 2020 at one of your events because yeah, it's yeah. re- genuinely really fascinating. I, I think as we look to, to sort of close out a lovely conversation today, what are, what are your hopes for 2020 and beyond? What are you hoping the, the book's impact will be, you know, these masterclasses' impact will be? What's your sort of, your, your hopeful vision um, as we move forward?
1: Yeah, so the most, the, the immediate impact, if anyone reads my book, I suppose the immediate impact I want to make in the world is that people think differently about, managing or implementing diversity and inclusion in the organization, that they start to think of it much more strategically, that it is that it's a big agenda item uh, at board level, that they're really thinking about how they can get it into the fabric of the organization rather than treating it as a, a box ticking exercise or one of those things that you that you have to do because your clients are now asking you to demonstrate that you are Thinking about diversity and inclusion when you when you pitch for work or put in proposals um, and so that's kind of step number one and step number two is that i really want to be in a world where um, we have decent work and and that leads to economic growth for for everybody regardless of of background so that everybody can bring their talents and innate skills and abilities to the workplace to solve the problems that we need to solve in the world
0: beautiful what a beautiful way to wrap up and I'd love your your use of the word innate because we've, we've all got gifts and just so often they're not seen currently yeah. and I yeah. think it's wonderful well last word for you Toby before we, uh, we wrap up anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with or maybe just a, a reflection as to how to lean into this if maybe there, there's someone listening that is feeling a bit afraid or they're like, I've not had a conversation with someone that's got a disability or someone that doesn't look like me before. What would your, what would maybe one little recommendation be as a reflection?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, when I, so when I do my training, uh, I do, I do training around unconscious bias. One, one of the strategies that I talk about is reverse mentoring, which was created by Jack Welch at GE. So um, when he created it, he was thinking, um, you know, somebody more senior, and experienced in the business is mentored by somebody less experienced than typically younger or junior Um, but actually we've adopted it in diversity and inclusion where you get mentored by somebody who is from a different background to you just to really open up your world and then when I do the training I, I talk about doing this in three stages so lean back, lean forwards and step in. So lean back is where you go home and you listen to something or watch something or read something differently that you wouldn't normally listen, watch or read. So my favorite is going on TED Talks, for example. Um, you know, or I mean the very fact that somebody's listening to this podcast suggests that they are interested in the topic of diversity and inclusion and they're they're open to the idea of talking to people from a different background. Um so yeah, that's step one. Step two is go proactively going and networking with with people that you wouldn't normally hang out with. So my favorite is meetup.com. There's loads of meetup groups on there, um, you know, like LGBT people working in the city, you know, women in technology disability groups, you name it, it's all on there. <laughs> um or if somebody's working for a big organization, big organizations will have employee networks that organise events. So go along to an, an Networking event that you wouldn't ordinarily go along to, and then this, the th- final one is is um, step in, which is actually go and get yourself a mentor. So find somebody within the organisation who's from a different background to you, and um, and go out for coffee with them, strike up a, a friendship or a relationship with them, and you know just get a sense of what it's like for them working in the organisation. Um, and ideally, they've got some sort of skill. That they can teach you as well, like maybe they're really good at a piece of software that you could, you know, that you're not very proficient in, um, and they could teach you that piece of software or something. So that that's a good way of doing it.
0: I'm literally buzzing. What an absolute gift you've just shared for us all. Um, at the end, honestly, so like, and I've, I've real lessons for me there as well. I feel I'm, I'm fairly good at a couple of those elements, but not good at all of them. So like, you've really given me a fantastic challenge and opportunity today as well. So, Toby, thank you so, so much for joining me today.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. It's been great to see you. Uh,
0: what's the best way for people to follow up with you? What's the best mediums to, to reach out and connect directly with you, Toby?
1: Um, so if any, so the first step would be to read my book. Um, it's on Amazon. If you just type in inclusive growth in the Amazon search box, um, my book will come up. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn uh, all of the time, so that's a good way of connecting me. And my website is milden.co.uk.
0: Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure all of those details in the show notes. And again, thank you so much um, for all you do, Toby, and uh, have a great day. Great. Take care. Thank you. Cheers.
1: Bye.
0: Hi there. It's Gary Turner wrapping up this brilliant conversation with Toby Milden. I just want to share a few of my key takeaways from this conversation. Uh, The first one was where he spoke about the fact that the business case of D&I, we shouldn't really need it. It's just the right thing to do. And we're talking about human rights. He believes that we should be uh, creating businesses that enable everybody to work in the business regardless of their background so that they can come and contribute their best work so that the business thrives as we discussed in this conversation there's so many reports so much evidence as to the value of diversity and inclusion yet it's not it doesn't seem to be sticking as well as otherwise it could be and what i've really enjoyed uh, the link to that is that uh, one of toby's tips to anyone that wants to progress DNI and their organisation is to find out what language sticks within the business and speak that language in order to get your message across. So myself as someone that works in international sales as well as having a passion uh, a personal passion for the people agenda you know I know I need to speak for example in terms of margin and gross margin and absenteeism and other metrics that will speak directly to the bottom line um, but have a human component behind them Um, and I think one of the most insightful and exciting opportunities that uh, Toby shared linked to these last two comments was he said what are the three talking points that you need to give to your chief executive so that they are able to talk confidently from a podium about why DNI is important to the organisation there's a great example of using the language um, of the business to try and drive through and reconnect um, this agenda within the organisation and finally, I really like that Toby speaks about the fact he likes co-creation, because so many organisations, when they implement D&I, it's usually done from the HR department, done to people in the organisation, rather than done with. And I think this is part of HR's challenge so often. So many great people wanting to make a difference, but they are still seen too often as a policy department and not as a strategic value-adding department. I appreciate that's a generalisation, but it's a very, very common conversation that I'm having and seeing across the network. Great people, big hearts, wanting to do the best possible job, but still find themselves accidentally doing to others rather than co-creating with others. So I would love to know your thoughts, feelings and challenges um, to this conversation I took so much away personally. You can find Toby's contact details in the show notes. Do buy his book, uh, Inclusive Growth. And do reach out to him should you want him to come and speak um, at any of your events. And he has that workshop coming up soon also. And if you want to get in contact with me, name's Gary Turner. You'll find me on Twitter at Gary, G-A-R-R-Y-I-P Catalyst. And also on Gary Interpersonal Catalyst on LinkedIn as well. And I'd love to have a conversation with you, find out what resonates, what you would challenge. And until next time, thanks for joining Toby and I in this conversation. really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the value through vulnerability podcast you can find out much more about hexo change at hexochangenow.com that's h-e-x-o changenow one word com. you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website which includes information about live stream conversations further service offerings blogs but also our in-person events of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.